Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hendrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 1618. Hello, True Transistors. Welcome to episode 31. This is going to be a a different kind of episode. It's going to be kind of a break from, you know, the series or the order things I've been doing. Um, I wasn't really sure where I would put this, but we talked about all kinds of things. Uh, A friend of mine known as Eddie Villanueva, he he has a uh, podcast of, of his own called Eddie V's horror show Uh, so check that out and we've been friends for a long time and uh, thought we would get together and just talk and record so um, we didn't really have any plans we just went and it went over I think it was like two hours long so hopefully you find this conversation interesting I, I will put links below for his podcast information and and other things uh, for him so check his stuff out Uh, we don't agree on everything but that's okay we have a good conversation sometimes it's just you know entertainment stuff and then we get into more serious topics as we go hello friends I thought I'd bring a friend of my own on here to talk and he has his own podcast Uh, his name is Eddie Villanueva. You can find him on uh, Spotify and other... Pretty much everywhere. Pretty much everywhere. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit. Um, I I met him in a uh, play, I think. Uh, It was a Western. Right. uh, And he was the villain. I was the hero. You can hear his voice. He sounds like a villain. I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I was a good. I was, I was a good pick if I do say so. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. That was what fifteen years ago. Fourteen. Oh, yeah. I want to say it was yeah. like two thousand eight. Oh, it was. Uh, it was actually right after I graduated, so it was uh, two thousand four. Two thousand four. Yeah. So that was fun, and. Uh, We've hung out a few times since then, but, you know, just scattered over the years. Yeah, we've been at a few other plays, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, we were in um, You Can't Take It With You. Yeah, and uh, No Opera at the Opera House tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one where I was, like, the highs, like a Don Knotts character. Yeah, <laughs> it was basically the same story as the And you were the villain there, too, right? I was. Yeah. was. yeah, same character, just not in the West. <laughs> right. Same yeah. uh, mustache twirling, snidely whip- whiplash type character. Right. And I remember long ago, you were making little films, and a lot of them had dark, you know, themes and everything. Right. And now you're working on books. Tell me something about that. I am. Well, I've, I mean, I've been writing for even longer than I was mm-hmm. you know, trying to make those student films back in the day. But, you know, I started writing when I was probably six years old I guess yeah um, and horror 
as I've always kind of gravitated towards horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, really, all of the like the whole umbrella for speculative fiction, just horror, uh, fantasy, science, science fiction. Mm-hmm. And I was actually part of a um, um, a writing group back in the early days of the internet, um, the when everybody had dial up. You know, oh yeah. Um, it was a sci-fi forum, and Harlan Ellison um, had a little like fan page there. People who were a big fan of his. And he was actually in the group. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think he ever knew I was like eight years old, but I actually talked to him a few times. That was pretty cool. Yeah. But um, yeah, I've, I've always been inspired by, by his work. Uh, the, the short story he wrote called uh, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream mm-hmm. was that's what made me really get into to horror. That's what made me decide I wanted to write horror. Yeah. Do you have a, uh, some, famous Hollywood writer or, you know, director that, that you are inspired by? Um, uh, I mean, I, I'm inspired by... Or any kind of movie, specific movies? Oh, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of a big movie guy, so... Mm-hmm. Rob Zombie? <laughs> I, I'm not a big fan no. of his films. <laughs> I haven't seen any. I just thought, well, he's kind of dark. He <laughs> is. Um, I feel like he tries too oh. hard, oh, um, yeah. and he just... I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm interested to see what he's gonna do with the monsters. Okay. Um, yeah. But like he just, mm-hmm. I feel like his whole formula for making a film is he just packs as much cussing and ridiculous blood mm-hmm. and like uncomfortable concepts into it as possible, and he's like, it's horror. Right. It's the recipe for horror. So that's that's mm-hmm. what a horror movie is. What do you think of Tim Burton? I love Tim Burton. Yeah. Um, I. I'm yet to see a Tim Burton film I didn't like. Really? I think I've seen every one of his movies. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other... Well, M. Night Shyamalan. I mean, they're kind of horror, but they're not that dark usually. Yeah, yeah they're they're hit or miss. Yeah. Um, I feel like he kind of had his heyday, and now... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what is that movie with the... <laughs> The the old people that were oh uh, the visit the visit is that an M Night Shyamalan yeah I that don't was, think I've seen that one that was the first one I saw in a while that I was kind of yeah. like okay this one's kind of this one's kind of fun yeah but yeah like it started I think after Lady in the Water it kind of dropped off mm-hmm. and I didn't understand Lady in the Water it was, that was it just was a weird confusing. one yeah uh, my favorite of his were Unbreakable and The Village. Yes, yeah, I'll agree with that. Unbreakable was great. Six Sense was Six Sense was a great movie, but I had like, uh, I guess you could say the spirit of fear for like six months afterwards. I uh, get that. I get that. <laughs> I remember um, I was really into scary movies for several years, and for some reason, you know, that one just had an impact on me. And it, most people I've, I know said it didn't, but for me, it did for some reason. It did. It did for yeah. me too. And I, yeah. I've been watching stuff that I shouldn't have been watching for right. a long time. Again, probably about, probably about six years old is when mm-hmm. uh, Alien was my first horror movie. Okay, I think I saw that once. Um, the scariest movie to me that I ever saw was The Fourth Kind. Have you ever seen that? I did. Yeah, with the the aliens. Um, yeah, that was a good. And one. it had kind of a realistic slant because I think they would split the screen, and apparently it would be like the real footage. Right, um, yeah. And because I'm, uh, I don't know what your beliefs are, but like I strongly believe that there's demons and 
and things and a lot of the, the alien um, abduction experiences that people have could be like demonic and all that so like I take that yeah. really seriously and like you know uh, I, so. I'll say that I I don't I certainly think that that is a possibility I don't mm -hmm. I don't want to say that's necessarily what I believe alien abductions are, right? But I do think that's a possibility as to yeah. what they actually are. Sure. So you know, you know that lady that interview that that is interviewed. There was just something freaky about her. Like she yeah, had a very like like she hadn't eaten in weeks or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. It looked very dry. Yeah, I, and I know. Kinda, um, that that was really unsettling because. Uh, I believe what the fourth kind was inspired by, I'm trying to remember what it was called, but there was this, um, it was like the original found footage film. There's uh, the, there was the third kind written by a Steven Spielberg. Oh, yeah, Close, Close and Clack. I don't know if it was kind. a... Um, it was, but the, the, this was, mm -hmm. I think it was after that, but it was like a home movie, um, mm -hmm. and man, I'm trying to remember what it was called. Hmm. The whole thing was shot on, on uh, like, one of those JVC VHS recording camcorders. Oh, the Blair Witch Project? No, they, oh. it came before the Blair Witch. Before yeah. that, okay. Uh, this is, like, back in the 80s. Huh. And uh, it was about, um, like, aliens showing up on this farm, and uh -huh. they, like, they slowly abduct more and more people. It was, like, it's this little girl's birthday party. That's why the whole family's there. Uh. And, um... They slowly get get lured away, and like they, um, they shoot a couple of the alien. When you see the aliens, you can tell that it's not real. Uh huh. But like they, it's so well acted, um, a lot of people for a long time believed it was it was real found footage. Yeah, I saw one in the last ten years. I want to say that was it had a kid that had superpowers, like light would come out of his eyes. Oh, uh, uh, was that was that was like the the Superman, like the Dark Superman story? Was it? Oh. Uh, what was that called? It was kind of a unique movie, but it, I think it had some kind of alien connection to it. But this boy started getting powers, if I recall. I can barely remember it. Like, yeah, if I heard the name of it, maybe I. It just came out it. a few years ago, right? Yeah. I saw it in the theater. I remember I saw it at Alamo, Alamo Draft House. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if it was brand new, but it seemed fairly recent. I mean, if yeah, it wasn't. It was like an aberrant or no. Uh, it was like, it was a singular word like that. But yeah, it was like a, a dark reimagining of uh, Superman. Oh, really? Okay. Um, so it's the McPherson tape is the movie that I was, I was thinking of. It's from yeah. 1989. Speaking of a dark Superman... What did you did you see Joker? I didn't. No. Really, I love uh, that. I, I thought was, that was. I, I saw some clips of it, and mm -hmm. um, I thought it was really interesting the way that they they made comparisons mm -hmm. between his character and like real mental illnesses. Yeah, like they had him watch like hours and hours of footage of mm -hmm. uh, actual mental patients. Right, and had him like uh, imitate a lot of the like mm -hmm. the the compulsive laughing, especially. Yeah, it was an interesting idea because you kind of have sympathy for the Joker, and Batman is kind of the villain. Yeah, it's like the the wealthy elite. Right. Know, yeah. 
And I w and and I started thinking about the idea of making movies that have already been made, but from another person's perspective. Yeah, like I what think would that's that great. movie be? Like, yeah. what would it be? Like, it, it could be any movie. Like, you know, I, although they're kind of doing different angles of Star Wars now, but like, right. you know, but yeah. So. Have you seen? Um, <laughs> they, on the internet, there's a lot of stuff about this, but it's like um, Inspector Gadget from the perspective of Doctor Claw. Uh, no, and it's actually it's really it's really interesting. Uh, obviously, it's just a bunch of people just like adding to the story or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but there's uh, there's this storyline where uh, like Inspector Gadget was uh, he was a cop that got injured or whatever, and sort of like Robocop mm -hmm. and like slowly his body was replaced by all machinery mm -hmm. and so he's basically just a robot now yeah. and Dr. Claw is actually uh, the what is left of the original Inspector Gadget and right. that's why he's trying to destroy him all the time yeah <laughs> hmm. but it's a interesting like dark take on Inspector right. Gadget Kind of humorous too. I used to uh, watch the cartoon when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, I did too. I was a big yeah. fan of Inspector Gadget. It was very similar to Get Smart to me. Yeah, well, it was the same guy. Yeah, the, the same guy voice actor voice. was. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. Get Smart. Yeah, <clears throat> they did. The, they actually did a new movie of Get Smart with uh, what's his name? Oh, Steve Carell. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good, but I felt like it was. I felt like I was watching. Special Agent Michael Scott. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Right, <laughs> that's true. It's hard to get, like, there's some actors that's, like, like, they become known for something so much that it's hard to think of them as somebody else. Yeah, and he's still in the suit, and he's <laughs> right. still kind of uptight, you know. And, yeah. yeah. Have you seen anything recently that you liked? Um, the last movie I think I went and saw was the Elvis movie. Uh, I'm oh, not a big, yeah. I'm not a big Elvis fan myself, but my friend uh, is a huge Elvis fan. In fact, I want to plug something real quick. Sure. Um, I have a friend who uh, that's him right there. His name is Mark, and uh, he's done these films uh, here in Dallas that are like mafia films. Okay. And uh, anyway. And he has a series, like two or three of them now. On, I think you can find them on Amazon. But they're called, uh, uh, it's a family thing. Okay. So, anyway, that's him. But he's a huge Elvis fan, so I went and saw it with him. What's his name, Mark what? Rios. Mark Rios? Yep. I should talk to him. I'm actually somewhat, sort of related to the Dallas mob. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I'm the Muso side of the... Well, Savello also. Uh -huh. But uh, Joseph Savello was the head of the, the Dallas mob. Interesting. Since like 19... Honestly, yeah. 1960 or something like that. Until really? Until he died in the late 70s. Hmm. And um, yeah, he is my grandmother's second cousin, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. Uh, interesting. My, I have a cousin, second cousin, who passed away a couple of years ago, but um, he used to be a truck driver, uh, and before that he was in gang, in a, like high-level 
mafia stuff. Oh yeah. His name's Nelson Cologne. Uh, <laughs> cool name. Puerto Rican. <laughs> okay. And when you know when he died, he and I hung out in the last. Like he moved to Dallas in the last. I guess it was like 15 years ago when we started hanging out. We go to wrestling shows. We both like wrestling. Yeah. Uh, but he looked like Charles Manson with a long oh, beard. Oh, really? <laughs> with a long beard. And, and he was kind of a funny guy. A uh, little wild, but like he had kind of toned down by the end of his life. And uh, so, um, yeah, I don't know what he's... Apparently, he claims that he was connected to some high-level mob bosses. Um, yeah, back in the probably seventies. <laughs> okay, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Where was but, he from? Puerto, uh, well, Brooklyn. Oh, okay. Yeah. His okay. family is Puerto Rican, but uh, it's on my mom's side. She's Puerto Rican. Yeah. So, you know, apparently he became a Christian later in life. Still very rough around the edges, but you know. Yeah, I imagine he would be claimed <laughs> claimed belief. I remember riding with him one time. He drove. He was smoking weed and driving like 90 and swerving in and out of traffic. And on the way back, so we went to go see wrestling that night. And on the way back, I insisted on driving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would too. And I was like... And he was kind of jokingly saying, you know, I don't care if I, sw if I jerk the wheel off the road, you know. <laughs> That's... <laughs> It's uh, crazy. Disconcerting at best. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, yeah, uh, you'd have to look. Uh, I'll send you a link to, uh, and I'll put a link on the video uh, of my friend Mark's show. Uh, it's a, it's a family thing. So All right. yeah, I'll check it out. Uh, I was in the first one actually, and I got killed off. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I love playing characters that get bumped off. Yeah. <laughs> then you have no commitment after. Right. <laughs> I've been way too busy anyway. I I used to do a lot of stage stuff, uh, and then maybe a few years ago I just didn't have time anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get back into it. I used to love being on stage. Yeah. Now, last time I, uh, when we would hang out long ago, I remember you were an investigator. I was, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting job, and I remember sit, riding with you one time, and you were kind of like spying on somebody, and yeah. <laughs> I was oh, like, man. whoa, this is kind of cool. I remember when you gave me a ride to the courthouse one time. That's right. I don't remember uh, what that was about, like why I was... I was just, I was full of court records, but, uh -huh. um, oh man, I wish I could remember what that case was. Yeah. There were some really interesting cases that I was... Yeah. For some reason, we were parked. It was nighttime. We were parked behind somebody for 15 minutes. You were checking something out, and then we kept driving, but that was kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, uh, what I what I usually tell people about being a PI is it's, it's either... It starts out really interesting, and then it gets boring really fast, and then hopefully something exciting will happen again. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's either super exciting or really, really boring. That's actually how I got, uh, I developed a pretty bad smoking habit. Uh, I, oh. I don't smoke anymore, but mm. um, around that time, uh, I started smoking, because everybody in the office that I worked in smoked, mm -hmm. and uh, I got it to, like, two packs a day, uh -huh. because there's just nothing else to do. You know, if you're on mm -hmm. a stakeout, you just sit there and 
smoke. I didn't have a right. smartphone, you know. If I did that, it would probably be coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then the problem is you got to pee all the time. You right, that's leave. true. So I just kept like a couple mason jars with me in case oh, I yeah. have to pee in the car. Oh, yeah. So what do you do now? Right now, well, on the side, I substitute teach. Uh, uh, I was, um, I just ended a, a career as a um, security director. I mm -hmm. um, guess I won't say where it was for. I don't know why they would care, but just in case. Um, but I just started uh, writing full time. So I don't need as much money as I used to. And uh, I can mm -hmm. just devote a lot of time that I have now to, to writing. Cool. Yeah. I started my pool business. Actually, I started it once back in 2006 for a few years and messed up. Uh, yeah, I think you told got, me a little bit about that. Got swindled. Yeah. But like the started, guy who bought the business from... Yeah, the and then he started collecting checks from the same customers that he sold to me. Oh, man. Um, I didn't know about that part. So I sold what I had and then just focused on getting out of debt and started my own business again about three or four years ago. And okay. um, the hard thing now, like I have more work than I can handle. <laughs> like I've been working long hours, um, but I've been having a hard time finding a good worker. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like if I could find a good worker, I could grow more. Right. Um, so. Yeah, it's but, hard to it's hard to get off the ground, especially when you're looking for your first employee. Yeah, my new strategy now is to um, consolidate my route, so I'm kind of getting rid of ones further out, and as I grow, and most of my calls have been in like the Desoto area, so oh, yeah. I've kind of been doing that. But yeah, um, but yeah, I think. Uh, Dallas has been good for business because a lot of people are moving here from California and New yeah. York. And they're they're gentrifying Dallas too, so we got more rich people coming in who can afford the pools. Right. Yep. That reminds me, so I don't know if you've heard about this, but like the housing market. Right. I've heard that there are really, really rich people overpaying for houses. Yes. Like billionaires, and then basically overcharging for rent, and that's what's causing this problem. A lot of it, yeah. Well, because like you know, people who are moving to Texas from California, you know, they've sold their house for you know, a million, a million five, right? Two million, and they come here and they buy. You know, they can afford easily afford a house for eight hundred thousand dollars, and. and when the the market is is super competitive, they can they can say, look, if you give it to me today, I'll pay you know, eight thousand over asking price. Yeah, and that's going to be hard for for a seller to turn down. So. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a lot of that is uh, I have heard it's finally starting to correct a little bit. Mm -hmm. We're just barely seeing the beginning of of it starting to to self correct. Yeah. And I hope that it is because I've been looking for a house for a while now and it's just right. ridiculous. I have a theory that a lot of the uh, inflation problems now is caused by the trillion dollar bailouts 
Now, that's yeah. just in the United States. I don't know what's going on in other countries, but I know the pandemic has had a, has hit the... When you lock down worldwide, mm. it cause, it's, it's going to cause problems. Yeah, it's going to take the market. But also the bailouts, and I don't know if other countries were doing similar things, that's going to devalue the money, you know. Yeah, I would... The currency, I think. As far as I know, the U.S. was the only com- country that was bailing out right. companies. Um, I know. Right. I know some countries uh, were offering like bonus checks to to the citizens and things mm-hmm. like that. Sort of like what we did here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think any of that was intended for stimulus, though. That was just yeah. uh, trying to give people money to stay alive. Yeah. Now we both identify as libertarians, right? Yeah. And I'm uh, a libertarian. I. Um, I feel like, you know, like, I was against the whole lockdowns from the beginning. Yeah, like, I I'm too. all for safety rules, you know, if, um, but I think there should have been more of an incentive for businesses to pay for people to stay home if they're sick or whatever, as opposed yeah. to sending everyone bailout money. Like, I had a, an essential job, so I was working the whole time. And yet, I still got <laughs> bailout money, or not bailout, right. stimulus checks. Yeah, I, I did too. Which yeah, doesn't make sense. Like, you know, um, if you have to have a government, you know, bailout, which I think the libertarian idea is against that idea. Like, yeah, generally. The libertarian idea is more about independence and less government, right? Yeah. But just thinking logically, like... You know, the lock lockdowns were just completely illogical because yeah, I mean it's causing other problems. Yeah. You know it really is. And the the solution has to be better than the problem. You know? Right. But, um, you can't make a worse problem by trying to solve, you know, mm-hmm. the the initial problem. But right. that's just kind of the way that government handles things, you know, they Right. Uh, the least, it's almost like they go out of their way to do things the least efficient way possible. Right. Um, like I was a C student. I went to, I barely went to college, and I probably could have made better decisions than they did. <laughs> I mean, anybody that learned right. how to balance a checkbook, you know, could have right. made better decisions. Um, yeah. A lot of it is, I, I think, I don't know what you think about this, but I do believe that there are billionaires out there that are trying to control us. It's yeah. Um, global, you know, international bankers. And yeah, I, I think I'm, I talked a little, bit, a, bit, uh, a little bit about this on my podcast uh, mm-hmm. about the Georgia Guidestones and also right. about the, the the Illuminati episode I did for a while back. Mm-hmm. I don't think but, I've heard that. I heard the Georgia Guidestones. I'll have to listen to the Illuminati one. Yeah. Uh, my podcast, by the way, is uh, Eddie B's Horror Show. I don't think I mentioned it yet. Oh, yeah. I mentioned your name, but I didn't yeah. mention the name of your podcast. Right. Yeah. Edward, yeah, so check that out, everybody. Edward Villanova, Eddie, Eddie B's Horror Eddie Show. Eddie B's Horror Show. But, um, yeah, anyway, so um, I think that it's it's been, a, it's been a thing for a long time that rich people have ideas about the way the world should be run. I mean, 
Yeah. If we're being honest about it, yeah, most people do. You know, most yeah. people have ideas uh, about how the, how the world should be. Mm-hmm. Most of us just don't have the means to affect change. Right. Um, so when you have billions of dollars, you actually do have the power to affect some change. And at the same time, you are probably less in touch with what's actually going on. With the because, common people. Yeah. yeah. If, you're, if you're a billionaire, if you are in the, mm-hmm. you know, the 1% of the 1%, um, yeah. you are pretty disconnected from you know, the mm-hmm. 99% that, uh, right. that your changes are going to affect. And I think that was the intention for the Constitution and freedom and, and all that, the Bill of Rights, was to put, to empower the middle class, you know, in a sense. Right. Um, which I think we're kind of moving away from now, but yeah, uh, because and I, I think it goes back to people wanting the government to take care of them. And a lot of people do, yeah. When people have the the mindset of freedom and independence, then they're not looking for government help as much. Right. When people are. Um, but are looking for the government to take care of the problems, then the the more the government takes care of us, I think the less freedom we have. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I've, I've said for a long time, when the government offers you something for free, expect to lose some rights. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like just, just over the last couple of years, it seems like we've lost a lot of freedoms. Yeah, um, unfortunately. But... Thankfully, I mean, Texas is better than most in that sense because we were only shut down here for two months, three months. Yeah. But I think um, some of that was Greg Abbott uh, realizing that <laughs> the, the people were not, not with him on his decision to shut everything down. But I will say, you know, I, I know a lot of people are not a big fan of Greg Abbott. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think that he's like the best governor we've ever had or anything, mm-hmm. but um, I applaud him for listening and and changing right. course. Yeah, and we're not. I mean, some people might be thinking that we sound like Republicans right now, but like, I'm I'm not a big fan of Trump. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't. He's not. It it boggles my mind how a lot of libertarians like Trump. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, because he's kind of like an authoritarian narcissist himself. Yeah, there's <laughs> there are a lot of ideas that go directly against um, libertarianism that that come from Donald Trump. But I I, I understand um, some of the you know some of his appeal. Um, I mean, it's inarguably our economy was worlds better right. under Trump than it is now. And uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of right. with you on not being a huge fan of him. I generally think that um, you should keep a politician's personal life out of right. out of the issue, yeah. and uh, focus on you know what their policies are and things. But mm-hmm. and part uh, of it, and I also admit that like the media has been really hard on him. Like they probably yeah. lie. Like he's not a racist. I know. Like, yeah, yeah. This whole idea, like all the liberals loved him ten years ago, right? Before, and now before he's he like ran a, as a Republican, and now they think of him as like Hitler. Like, yeah, I know. I think um, said as much, you know. And and here's like some of the hypocrisy of the. I don't know if you think of it as a left-right false left-right paradigm. 
Um, but like, there's a lot of hypocrisy in the two-party system where the first time I noticed this was 2008. Um, one of the parties was all for this bailout. The other party was against it. And right. then six months later, Obama became president and it just flip-flopped. Yeah. And Ron Paul was against both of them. And, uh, and then later, like uh, the war, like the Democrats were running anti-war back in 2008. And somehow uh -huh. that has flip-flopped to where the Democrats are pushing for war and the Republicans right. are against it. <laughs> and the vaccines, uh, Trump was pushing the vaccines uh, right. before he, and the Democrats were against it. Yep. And as soon as Biden get, became president, he pushed the vaccines and it flip-flopped. Right, yeah, and, for sure. And to me, it's like, once you leave the, start thinking individually instead of letting politicians or some party tell you what to think, you start to see the hypocrisy and the and the uh, inconsistency. You know? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's if you just if you look back at all, uh, it, it's clear that um, that even just the fact that we run on a two party system. Okay, let me yeah. let me expand this a little. Bit. Yeah. So this. This is something that I've been talking about for a while. Uh -huh. um, I actually think that the two-party system is a form of government control in itself. Yeah. Uh, because it allows people to pick one side or the other right. and not really look at the issues themselves. Yeah. Neither party is against the Federal Reserve. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, and that's one of the most important things, I think, in terms of what's causing problems economically yeah and it also yeah. discourages people from looking at issues from more than one standpoint right um so if you at any given issue mm -hmm. the right's going to say one thing and the left is going to say the other thing and the discourse is only between these two things right nobody nobody interjects and says well what if we do this has nothing to do with either of these two points, mm -hmm. and I'll give you an example: um, the the debate over gay marriage. Mm -hmm. um, so the the right, which is uh, has a lot of Christian influence, was has obviously been against uh, gay marriage, and mm -hmm. uh, the left was for it. And so uh, you you only have the, these these two talking points. Um, either you're for it or against it, but really, um, mm -hmm. if you take a step back and you look at the bigger picture, the uh, the answer is that the government shouldn't have a position on this in the first place. Right. The government is interjecting itself somewhere where it doesn't belong. Yeah. And they they argued back and forth about how um, marriage is never even mentioned in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. That's because the founders didn't think that was something the government should be involved in in the first place. Right. So why are we trying to force that? You know, why does this have to be a talking point at all? Right. The only reason is because both parties have said that we should fight about this. Right. Well, I think most of what I learned politically and, and the philosophy that I go by was through Ron Paul, where he had a simple philosophy, and that was total freedom to do whatever you want unless you hurt somebody else. Yeah, and I, I agree and with that And once you think about that, like, there's certain things that at first people emotionally are like, wait a second, so like drugs. Um, why, do, why do people get 
thrown in prison for getting high. You know, like if they hurt somebody else, yeah, it should be similar to the alcohol laws. Like I think the alcohol laws are are good. Yeah. Um, it doesn't necessarily stop people from drinking and driving, but you know, I don't think if somebody's drinking and driving, you know, they should have their license removed. They should be in jail for a little bit. You know. Yeah. But like, same thing with drugs. I, I think yes, they're very harmful, and I don't support drugs. I'm not promoting drugs, but. Right. Um, you know, there's no reason somebody, just because they, they're already punishing themselves, in a sense, yeah. for taking, like, heroin or whatever. But like, well, you know, anybody can get it, especially with really addictive drugs like right. heroin, yeah. uh, where somebody somebody's body can actually become dependent on heroin, where they will actually die if they don't get it. Right. Um, and so you're essentially forcing, yeah, they've gotten themselves in a place they shouldn't have been in, in, the, right. in the first place, but they are here now, and now you're forcing them to choose between either um, getting this drug um, and uh, and risking uh, legal repercussions or dying without it. Right. You know? And I've never understood the heavy-handedness uh, about about drug use like we, here in Texas if you murder somebody mm-hmm. uh, non-capital murder and you get life in prison that doesn't mean you're in prison for life there's a set I forget how many years it is but there's mm-hmm. a set number of years that is a life sentence right but if you get caught with too much marijuana the maximum punishable is 99 years so wow. you're obviously not going to live, live that Jeez. long um, so that is right. effectively a true life sentence. Right. Um, so there, I, I've just there, never, nobody I've should be in prison that. for marijuana. First of all, yeah. Like, and here's the other thing I started thinking about. Like, there's way too many people in prison in the United States. Like, I think we have the highest prison population in the world. Yep. And I don't think anybody should be in prison that didn't commit a violent crime. I think that there should be a segregation between violent and nonviolent. Sure. Um, I think that there. Uh, <coughs> I don't know. I'm kind of. I don't think about that, but I'm. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of agreeing with you that prison. Maybe robbing a bank, things like that, but like. Well, robbing a bank is at least the threat of violence. Right. So you can still call that a violent crime, sure. in my opinion. Yeah, but not for getting high. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, uh, other things like that I thought about the prison system in and of itself. I think should be more about rehab and a maximum of two years because there's people. Okay, I heard about a guy who was with his uncle. Mm-hmm. He was he was still a minor at the time. He was probably sixteen. His uncle was driving, and his uncle robbed a store. Yeah, and the sixteen year old was an accomplice, even though he had no idea his uncle was robbing the store. So he spent his whole adult life, he didn't get out of prison until his 40s. Yeah. Which to me is is ridiculous. First of all, no minor should be tried as an adult, in my opinion, especially when he claims he, he, he didn't know what was happening. But, right. like, I don't know, like, that kind of ruins somebody's life like, I feel like, okay, give them a chance to rehab at the most, like, two years. Um, and, and I don't know what you think about the death penalty, but, like, I feel like there's certain people that, 
like it's not a pedophile, you know, or mm. um, you know, whatever, like a serial killer. Yeah, and maybe there should be a three strike rule, but I think eventually, if somebody's like a serial killer, yeah, they should be put to death, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I, I, mean, I agree with that. Rather than us housing them and paying our tax money to, to keep them housed and in prison. Right. You know, it's like... Yeah, so, I, I agree with you. I, I think that yeah. prison should mostly be for rehabilitation. If someone has been has been deemed a, you know, a threat to society, like a serial killer, yeah. or... I, I, yeah, I mean, so... Yeah. Pedophilia gets a little bit yeah. uh, iffy because, you know, there is... Like statutory well, yeah, like and stuff. A Fifteen-year-old and a twenty-year-old versus you know that's a little different than like yeah, or even you know, a sixteen-year-old and an eighteen-year-old. You know, or right, something right. Like um, to me, that should be called something else. Yeah, well, if you I say mean, you know, statutory, at least right. statutory rape, they can couldn't right. consent at their age or whatever. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's kind of a, a rabbit trail. Right. Um, I, I, I agree. Specifics that are. That needs to be nailed down, but like I, I feel like yeah, like sorry, what were you saying? Yeah, yeah, I was just saying I, I agree. It should be mostly for rehabilitation. I do think that having some form of a punishment aspect to it um, is beneficial because we yeah. don't want people, yeah, uh, you know, using prison as a vacation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so if if you look at the Scandinavian countries, and a lot of people give them flack for. Yeah, the prison is like living in a dorm, and mm-hmm. you know they get to do their own grocery shopping, and yeah. you know, they wear civilian clothes and things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I don't think that you should reward prisoners with a resort, mm-hmm. but I think there is something to be said for mm-hmm. um, making them feel like people while yeah. they're there. Um, I'm a firm believer that if you treat a human like a caged animal they're going to act like one mm-hmm. so if you if you give them some some humanity while they're there you focus on rehabilitation you don't make it this huge you know, egregious sentence where they're going to be uh, an old man when they get out mm-hmm. um, then uh, you know you're going to have a lot more su- more success and if you look at the rehabilitation rates in the Scandinavian countries they have the the lowest number of uh, repeat offenders post incarceration. So yeah, it was uh, you, know, you had to go live on this island for a while, but you know you had to have a job, otherwise yeah. you just starved to death. You know? They kind of like Escape from New York, Escape from LA. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen those? I have. Yeah, I like yeah. those movies. Uh, Escape from LA, especially. I, I kind of wonder if the majority of people that are in prison for 40, 50 years have already if you let them out they would not do it again like not, I, mean, I don't know what the percentage would be but I, I wonder if there's a lot of people in there that made one mistake they're in there for 50 years they oh, they, sure there's a lot they of want to just get back to to real life um, and that's why I'm saying like a lot of these things like robbing a store should be no more than like two years and it should be all about like counseling, rehab, maybe yeah. part of prison should be learning how to work. And I think they probably do that anyway, but um well instead I mean, of to like, an extent, but you don't at least in most prisons you do not have to have a job. Mm-hmm. If you want to earn credits so that you can, you know, get better yeah. food and you know better 
laundry service and things like that, right. um, you can. Uh, there are benefits to having a job in prison. It certainly looks better if you're trying to get parole that you've had a job. Mm -hmm. But you, at least in most prisons, you are not required to have a job. And uh, have you ever seen that, that uh, TV show Lock Up? Oh, uh, no. Uh -huh. So they talk to a lot of people who they they'll they'll come to the end of their sentence they'll get out and they'll immediately go commit some other petty crime so they can go back in mm -hmm. because they like being taken care of they mm -hmm. like not having to work they'll get food either way you know somebody's going to do their laundry you know they mm -hmm. um it's they don't have freedom but they're willing to trade that for not having to take care of themselves right and um so obviously, that does not yeah. that doesn't work for rehabilitation. At the very least, the prison system is terrible at rehabbing and counseling people. I, I think. Yeah, for they sure. They just it is. basically lock them up and then, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I I went to school for uh, criminal justice and yeah. uh, I I wrote a paper on this. So, yeah. Um, this is kind of this is my this is my jam right here. And one thing Ron Paul said was that the drug laws are racist, like, that for the same crime, or it could be any crime, really, but a lot of times for the same crime, a judge will sentence them longer than yeah. a white person with the same crime. Yeah, and that, there, is the, there is an interesting... Um, there's an interesting, interesting issue there, because on one hand, uh, I think that a big problem we have with the way that we run things is that there's this one-size-fits-all approach right. um, that is more problematic than it is helpful or you know making sure it's equal for everybody and make sure it's not equal for everybody. Right. Um, so I do think that there should be a judge mm -hmm. or somebody in charge of you know, looking at every individual case and saying, you know, should we... You know, throw the book at somebody and give them the you know the maximum, or should we give them you know a light you know a light sentence because you know there's extenuating circumstances or whatever. But then at the same time, it opens the uh, it opens the judgment up to the judge's own biases, and yeah. So if you get a if you get a racist judge in there, uh, mm. a lot of times there's not really a whole lot you can do about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's it stinks. Um, perhaps just like the Constitution is supposed to protect us, there should be exact punishments to fit each crime, to where the ju it's not in the hands of the judge. You know yeah, what I mean, I, mean I, I think that really what I think is that there should be a judge. Well, I mean, a, there should be a jury, right? And then, uh, but and about the jury, like. Isn't there kind of this? The jury doesn't know what their what their power is. Like the judge almost times, basically yeah. makes them swear that they won't like, and they, you know, but like the jury is supposed to be able to. Let's say there's a stupid law, mm -hmm. like let's say somebody's, you know, being tried for marijuana possession. The yeah. jury has the power to change, like, don't they have the power to say not guilty based upon the fact that we don't think it should be illegal? Oh, maybe, I don't know. Well, <laughs> they, do, they do make you swear right. that even if you disagree with a law. Constitutionally, they're supposed to, but if the judge, see, that's the, the thing, is the judge will often take our constitutional power away by making us swear 
Um, oh, yeah. And, you know, just, <clears throat> I don't know, I, I feel like um, a lot of juries don't know their power. I, if I was in a jury, I've never been in a jury, but the first, my, I would go in assuming innocence. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people don't do that. Yeah, they, a I mean, lot of people assume guilt. Yeah, that you know that's how our system is supposed to be set up. You know, right. innocent until proven guilty. Uh, um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I feel like that is not that's not the the approach that a lot mm-hmm. of jurors take, especially for certain crimes. Have you ever seen the staircase? The staircase. I don't it's think a documentary. So. Okay. Um, yeah, it was an interesting case because this writer, his wife was found dead at the bottom of the staircase, and they basically, the cops came in and basically made it look like it was him, and a lot of people still think it was. Um, anyway, it's an interesting case, um, and the theory by the defendant was that it was an accident or she fell, uh-huh. which it was there was way too much blood for it just to be a fall, but. Um, later on, this theory of uh, of barred owls um, was thrown out there, but it was not in the case because they thought about it too late. Of barred owls? Like, yeah, because like, there was like scratch marks on her head, which they oh. said it was because of, from a blow poke from the fire, like the prosecution. Anyway, check that out. It's called The Staircase. And okay. I was like thinking, okay, there's enough doubt there's enough reasonable doubt even though there was some shady things with him like they found out in the investigation that he was cheating on her yeah um things like that which um a lot of people cheat on people but that doesn't mean they're going to kill anybody but <laughs> yeah. oftentimes they'll use that as a motive right um, i mean it, it, it is important important to to keep the the frame of the um, what do they call it? The um, the the burden of proof um, in in range, right? So, mm-hmm. um, in a criminal case, it's uh, beyond a uh, beyond a reasonable doubt is mm-hmm. the burden of proof. So, yeah, they have to prove that without some outlandish thing being <laughs> being the cause for it that um, that this person committed the crime and I think that we do see that it's actually kind of frustrating a lot of times because when we can see a case where it's clear that someone has done something um, but the state doesn't meet that burden of proof and that person has to go free but at the same time uh, you have to respect the system. Like um, O.J. Simpson, for example, I, I feel like they made a very good case that he probably committed murder, but they didn't prove it. Right. So it's actually a it's actually the correct action on the part of the jury to find him not guilty. Right. Same thing with Casey Anthony. I I believe she killed her daughter, mm-hmm. but again, they didn't prove it mm-hmm. so at least in a reasonable way and uh so they mm-hmm. they had to find who not guilty yeah i didn't uh what about the cosby case i don't know if you know the details on that or not i mean that's even that's even flimsier mm-hmm. um 
because what you essentially have is a bunch of word of mouth. Right. Um, you have a, a bunch of people saying, that, like, yeah, he was here. Yeah, we saw him interacting with these people. It's all hearsay, though. Right. And it was really just a the she was really only tried for one person. Yeah. But they kind of brought in all these other women, um, which you know I'm. Um, I have a theory on this, and he could be, he could be guilty of all that, as far mm-hmm. as I know. But like, it seems that first of all, he had his own, like he was against the agenda that was being pushed on him from the beginning. And mm-hmm. back in the '60s, black comedians were like supposed to do race comedy, right? Yeah. And he refused from the beginning. Yeah. Um, and then he was the first one to promote wealthy black people on TV, right? And education. Well, and I think that there was kind of a, perhaps the powers that be didn't like that. Um, I a hundred percent agree with that. I I think right. that um, there has been a, a long um, there's been a long play going on for uh, for for yeah. years um, where they have tried to keep racial tension. Uh, in America, and they they want to whoever they is you know the deep state or you know, whoever yeah. uh, to keep everybody from from being too unified. Yeah, and um, I, I I do agree with that. I I don't just like you said. Mm-hmm. I don't know the man. I don't know if right. maybe he is guilty of all that, but mm-hmm. it it just seemed like it came out of nowhere yeah. in a time when. Racial tensions were maybe kind of dying yeah. down a little bit, and this right. this got stirred up, and it's uh, yeah, the, and and I remember he okay, so I think it was two thousand two. He did this pound cake speech, and up until that time, he had a squeaky clean image. Yeah, and the pound cake speech was basically he was telling his own people to stop blaming Whitey and get an education, pull your pants up, speak correct English. Yeah, um, I remember that. And a lot of black people were mad at him for that at the time. Yeah. Um, now, it seems like when he was um, starting to get accused, they they flip-flopped and defended him and said, oh, it's because they hate black people. Um, but I, yeah. I think I remember that all the accusations started after that speech. It's like he had a yeah. bad reputation um, f- for whatever reason. I, I think it's a message that they didn't want. They want, I think the powers that be want black people to feel like they are Marginalized. victims yeah. to the point where they can't, they need the help of the government, they can't help themselves. Um, right. Which is crazy that the racism, the race tensions picked up when we had a black president. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Which is very strange because we had the most powerful man in the United States being a black man mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we start having these... And I think, you know, I supported Colin Kaepernick's kneeling because I feel like, you know, it's a peaceful protest and he was mm-hmm. protesting something real. I think there are racist cops out there. It's freedom of speech. Um, so I'm not downplaying racism at all. Um, but I think that there are plenty of people, like Bill Cosby um, is qualified to speak on that issue and say that, okay, yes, you do have, 
and I, I think I admit I, I acknowledge that they do have a disadvantage, but it's not impossible. Yeah, and, I mean it's hard to say yeah. that it's. <laughs> and I, I don't think you and I would feel like we have white privilege. We're both kind of middle class. I don't know where kind of house you live, lower middle class, whatever. I mean, I, I've, I've said it before. Like, if, <laughs> if there is white privilege, sh- please show me how to use it. Right. <laughs> because I could, I could use it. Like, you have to be is there, Do I need to register or like, do I need to get a card? Or? Right. I think there's more wealth privilege because if you think Absolutely. about if somebody is rich and they get accused of a crime, they have a better chance of getting a slap on the wrist or something. Like O.J. Simpson, mm-hmm. if he was poor, there's no way he would have gotten off the hook. Yeah, he would have gotten uh, the death penalty. Right. And I think poor white people also have a disadvantage. So yeah. I think you can you can afford a better lawyer, which I think is a terrible system. You know, Yeah. I don't know how you would do that because some lawyers are better than others. That's just the way it is. But to make I mean, it about money yeah. just seems maybe lawyers should be part of the what we are taxed for and that yeah. everybody gets a lawyer, you know, for free basically. Well I mean for tax money. Yeah. And no there's kind of all on an even you yeah. know what I mean? Well, okay, I so part of that is because um, so law practices um, a lot of them are very old. They're legacy law practices, and they have a very, uh, you know, they have very, very strenuous um, criteria to meet if you're going to practice in their firm. So you have to have shown that you are an excellent attorney to to be represent or to represent in this law firm. Mm-hmm. Um, but a public defender who that's what you get if you can't afford your attorney. They're just somebody who passed the bar. Mm. You know, a lot of times they work for the district attorney's office, which mm. seems like it could be a, um, uh, a conflict of, of um, what do you call it? A conflict of interest, right? Mm. Because if you work for the district attorney's office that is bringing the allegations against you, against your client, um, are you really going to do that great of a job defending that person? Because you're literally going against your own office. Right. Yeah. I actually, I know... That's true. Like, yeah, there is a bias. You know, a lot of times if the prosecution is the state, mm-hmm. the judge might be a little biased too for the state. Yeah. Well, yeah, in criminal cases, the prosecution is always the state. Yeah. It's only in civil that it's uh, somebody else. I actually know somebody who um, she she's in prison. Uh, she went to prison when she was eighteen because uh, similar to to the story you told, that she was going to be the getaway driver, and her boyfriend and a couple other guys were going to go uh, rough somebody up and get some money that, that they owed to them, mm-hmm. and they ended up killing him. And mm-hmm. she didn't even know. Really. They just got back in the car and she drove away. Mm-hmm. Um, but they both made deals with the district attorney, and she didn't. And so she was the only one that got a life sentence. Yeah, that and should be outlawed. Making deals with, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, it really. And the uh, thing is that they will always frame it as somebody who's worked in criminal justice for eight years. I can tell you. 
Um, if you're ever in trouble and they offer you a plea deal, right. it's because they right. don't have confidence in their own case. Right. So if you take a plea deal, it's right. probably going to be worse than... Yeah, I've heard never to... never they, Like if they say, if you plead guilty, then we'll give you a slighter sentence. And I've, I've heard... I've never been tried, or, or what do you call it, interrogated. Mm-hmm. But I've heard that if if you are um, a, a, a what's the word, if you are a, accused or sus- under suspicion, and they're asking you questions, the best thing to do is not an- not answer the questions. Yeah, absolutely. And say I want a lawyer. Yeah, there is so, so there's a YouTube channel that uh, I watch a lot, and all it is is they break down uh, police interrogations. And they, they show you like what the what the interrogator is doing, like what the line of questioning is is intended to do, and and things like that. Let me see if I can find the name of that real quick. All right, so th- there's actually two of them. There is one called um, Law and Crime Network, and that's uh, a lot more analytical. Um, it almost seems like something that you could you could be watching for. Uh, like a, a law degree or something, and the other one, or like almost like a handbook for interrogators. And the other one is called Explore with Us, and they also break down police interrogations. They're a little less formal about it, mm-hmm. um, but there are so many. I recommend watching either of those um, mm-hmm. because it really highlights some of the the head games that police interrogators try to play with people, yeah. and. There have been uh, multiple instances, even documented just on those channels, where they extracted what was considered a confession from somebody okay. who was, it turned out, they were innocent. Right. And, or they, yeah, they did something to, to implicate yeah. themselves when they weren't initially a suspect. So, um, really the best thing to do like don't worry about if it makes you look guilty or whatever if they want to question you um if you're not under arrest don't talk to them yeah you don't have to talk to the police (coughs) unless you're under arrest Uh, i mean even then you don't have to talk to them (laughs) you're under arrest but don't talk to them without your attorney then (laughs) yeah if you're under arrest and you ask for a lawyer do they have to do that right away or can they keep interrogating you they can they absolutely can keep talking to you okay so Um, they'll probably try to keep me in there for eight hours and i don't know how long um eventually they run the risk of you know infringing on your constitutional rights but I have seen, even you know, just in those YouTube uh, channels, that somebody will say, I don't want to talk without a lawyer. And then they'll be like, well, let me just ask you this real quick. Well, right. well what's, what's your name, just for the record? You know, they'll answer that, and then they end up answering the next question after that. And then the next question after that. You know, it's almost right. like they even forgot they asked for an attorney. Right. I've seen somebody ask for an attorney like three or four times. So if they I'm, ask for my name... After I ask for a lawyer, I'll just say, I, think, I want a lawyer. <laughs> I think you actually have to identify yourself. Oh. So give, yeah, you can confirm your name, your date of birth, address, you know, things yeah. like that, anything beyond that. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I've heard of situations where somebody will think, okay, I'm innocent, so I'll just answer the question. Right. But if you mistakenly misidentify a name, uh, like a misidentify the day that something happened and then it conflicted with 
another story. Right. Even if you were trying to be truthful and you just mistakenly, they could use that against you. Absolutely. So, no, you said you were here on Tuesday afternoon, but you were actually, uh, we can verify that you were over here, so you lied about that. Yeah. And then they'll start using stuff against you. And it's just, yeah. So I've never, thankfully, I've seen enough of that to know if I'm ever in that situation just to not answer their questions. Yeah. If you're under arrest, ask for an attorney. If you're not under arrest, leave. You don't have to, you don't have to talk to them. Right. Or just decline in the first place. I'd rather not. Yeah. Now, I think I would cooperate if they're asking me about something, somebody else or my, as a witness. Yeah. Do you yeah. think, like, if they're asking me, if they start saying, hey, where were you when this happened? Then I would probably, I don't know. Yeah. No. I yeah. I, I, I agree. I, I wouldn't answer anything that I was not comfortable with. Like, yeah. Obviously, if like I have a missing family member or something, and they're trying to yeah. <laughs> figure out where they are, yes. Of course, I mean, I guess if I cooperate. can can say, okay, wait, I was cleaning this pool, and there's a security camera there at that time. Yeah. Uh, and at least I could I, I could prove that. I was there at that time, or whatever. Yeah, but then, what if uh, they go to that person, and they're like, hey, can we see your security camera footage? And they're like, oh, it was actually, uh, it wasn't working at that time. Oh, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. So that can look suspicious, too. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. yeah, I don't know. It's, it's kind of sad. Okay, so we had mentioned before, I haven't heard your... Um, podcast episode on the Illuminati but I'm curious as your thoughts <laughs> um, well okay so historically the Illuminati could not be running the world because they're all dead hmm. uh, uh, the Illuminati was a movement in the late 1600s early 1700s and um, they were actually born out of the same ideology um, that America is based on so the philosophy of John Locke inspired both the American Revolution and the Illuminati. And mm -hmm. so uh, Adam Weishaupt was uh, the founder of the Illuminati in was it Hungary, I believe. And um, mm -hmm. his, uh, his big issue was that um, the, the church and, uh, and the government were they, they, had, they had aligned to make these really uh, repressive laws mm -hmm. and uh, it was it was basically a big movement for for freedom mm -hmm. but the the reason why people <laughs> worry about the Illuminati at all is because um, they grew large enough, uh, in Hungary they actually began infiltrating the government itself mm -hmm. and the church and yeah. um, obviously if you're in the government that mm -hmm. freaks you out and uh, so mm -hmm. right. they charged them all with treason they ran them all up and they killed them mm -hmm. um, at the same time that actually inspired um, the Freemason movement in the United States mm -hmm. um, so there were Freemasons who were in the Illuminati and there were Illuminati who were Freemasons um, they're not one and the same which is a uh, Mm. a fallacy a lot of people believe but mm. <clears throat> um, so yeah, the Illuminati is all dead 
or there, there's one guy that out of my shop disappeared. No one knows what happened. To of course, him. he's presenting that history. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like, yeah, the Hungarian yeah. government, I guess, but right. Um, but they started getting blamed for like they got painted as like this this cloak and dagger. I mean, they were they were a secret society and they were working behind the scenes in the government, but. Um, because that's a scary idea, mm-hmm. um, they started getting blamed for other things like the French Revolution and mm-hmm. the American the American Revolution, and um, they just sort of became this boogeyman that any time uh, any time they wanted to scare people toward government trust. They would say, "Oh, the Illuminati is out there. There, we can protect you, but the Illuminati is out there to get you." Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, all this really kind of started going away um, mm-hmm. in the late 1800s, and by the early 1900s, no one was talking about the Illuminati anymore mm-hmm. uh, until it was like I can't remember the name. Illuminatus was the uh, mm-hmm. the name of the the book series that this guy wrote, mm-hmm. and. Um, I'm pretty sure that all he did was like look over some history books and read about the Illuminati and he was like oh that's kind of a cool idea I'll make them the bad guys in this mm-hmm. and sort of like what happened with L. Ron Hubbard mm-hmm. uh, and uh, uh, what is that book called anyway the all the Scientology stuff mm-hmm. um, it kind of got it kind of launched this you know, new idea that the Illuminati are this shadow government they're you know, pulling the strings behind the scenes and things mm-hmm. like that. so as far as it being the Illuminati uh, that once was I don't think there's any founding for that mm-hmm. um, as for the idea that there's a bunch of rich people who work together for their own ends uh, and are often involved in government I do think that is something that happens mm-hmm. I I, uh, I heard a there's a series that you can find on YouTube, but he was originally a, a radio talk show host, William Cooper. I don't know if you've heard of him. William Cooper, it rings um, a bell. Bill Cooper, William Milton Cooper. He wrote a book called Behold a Pale Horse. Um, he has the series called Mystery Babylon. It's really interesting, but he basically gets his he got his information from high level occultists like Albert Pike. Uh, Manly P. Hall. I have one of the books here, uh, The Secret Teachings of All Ages by Manly P. Hall. Okay. Which basically, these are high-level occultists that basically connect the secret societies today, like Freemasonry, with the mystery schools of Egypt. And they claim, like, they claim uh, that they're in it and that, that that they say that these secret societies go all the way back throughout the ages and it's like this mm-hmm. hidden knowledge yeah I know um, and uh, and and it, it, I find it very interesting because the basis for their belief is the story of the Garden of Eden turned upside down oh yeah to where their belief is that man was held prisoner in the Garden of Eden by an unjust and vindictive God until Lucifer through his agent Satan wanted to free right. mankind, mankind with intellect so that he too might become his gods. Right. Which is interesting because I think I heard that, you know, William Cooper explaining that um, 2007 or 8 on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But he, I mean, he recorded it in the 90s. 
But back in the 90s, uh, there was a Wiccan club at Eastfield College that had Wiccan tracks. And one of them I had that, that story in the Garden of Eden yeah. uh, exactly the way that apparently the Illuminati believes, according to uh, the secret teachings of all ages and like high level occultists. Well, it's, so it's actually it's funny though because yeah. the Illuminati were uh, were actually Christian based. Um, Christian based. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it's upside down. So it's like they a, were against the church as mm -hmm. a ruling body, mm -hmm. but um, a lot of their a lot of their beliefs were based in Christianity. Yeah. And the way it's described is that it's very complex because to the outside world it could look like two competing. Like, for example, the Jesuits and the Freemasons. Uh -huh. uh, or the Rosicrucians. And the yeah, the Rosicrucians, where the Jesuits and Freemasons, for example, were against each other. Mm -hmm. But at the very highest level, they believed the same things. So it's probably that they were competing for power, uh, yeah. but had the same goals. Yeah. Things like that. That makes uh, sense. But, you know, and again, so... As far as their claims, and I'm not talking about, because William Cooper would read verbatim from Morals and Dogma by Albert Pike, or The Secret Teachings of All Ages, or whatever, to say what they believed and, and what they say their history is. Um, but really, we only have the evidence going back to the 1700s as far as the more recent, uh, you know, what secret societies um, yeah. and so um, and I don't know like to me there is some believability to to some of this because of Bible prophecy uh, and I don't know like I've been into that since I was a kid and this the Bible prophecy of a one world government with an antichrist uh, the final beast a beast represents a, an empire or yeah. a kingdom that will trample the whole world. Right. And um, there's some interesting things. The Rosicrucians, uh, I think Francis Bacon actually said that they plan to make America the new Atlantis. Right. And yeah. right now, the United States has the most powerful military in the history of the world. Like yeah, we, but, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah. I hear that. But if you look at the direction that they would say that the, the deep state is going um, it looks more like the intention is to dismantle the United States I think there's a combination there because I think they'll d dismantle the constitutional United States but also the military you know they do mm. they cut the military budget every year now right and um, it seems like they'd be trying to bolster that with you know, panic or you know right. looming war or something like that and it could be replaced with something else that's but true. I, that's I true. think the United Nations has plotted 10 global regions, mm -hmm. or I've heard different numbers, but 10 is the one I like to use because the Bible says there's 10 horn. the beast has 10 horns, oh, yeah. which are 10 kings, right. and, uh, and so anyway, so like you can see, you can read the plan, in fact there was a, there's a video on YouTube, several, that are part of the meeting of the... Uh, world governing summit that oh, happened yeah. this year uh -huh. and they're talking specifically about making a, a global currency right. uh, global judges um, 
And Which was part of the Georgia Guidestones, right? The yeah. Global Judges. Right. Well, and the Currency, too. I think it was yes. And so I tend to think somebody powerful put up the guide, Guidestone. I mean, that there was something um, to that. And yeah. I, I think either somebody who had, uh, certainly somebody who had a lot of money, because I think they say they... Right. Estimated at having costed like four to five million dollars. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's probably somebody who either had power or wanted power. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think, I I, I do think that yes, there are there are agendas and, and and but I do think that it's kind of been divided for for many years, so that they're fighting each other too. So it's like yeah. all of these powers that be have the same goal and maybe even belief system. But they are fighting each other. Yeah, have you ever um, have you ever heard of the the Hellfire Club? I've heard of it. Yeah. So there's it is it's a thing that existed um, at the same time as the American Revolution. It existed in the United States, um, and there is there there there's varying reports on on how much influence it had, but it was basically a um, was a, a satanic club mm-hmm. um, where they they were basically in competition with uh, Freemason ideology. Mm-hmm. And there's a theory that um, since America's inception, um, power has constantly been shifting back and forth between the Freemasons and the Hellfire Club. Hmm. And then they're, you know, the Hellfire Club is probably called something else now. Right. <laughs> That's something one thing that they do to kind of keep, like, they constantly are creating new secret societies and creating new uh, names. Yeah. And and also a lot of the lower level people in these societies have no no clue. They're just right. kind of there as a front. And yeah. I know it's... two Freemasons. Oh, really? Uh, and uh, okay. yeah, I believe... Um, they, I don't think they have I nothing but good things to say about about it. Oh, you um, they, yeah, have, they do, or they have? Yeah, they only have good things to say about it. Right. Um, they do say that they, there is a library right. uh, with thousands, uh, thousands, mm-hmm. and thousands of books that no one is allowed to read <laughs> unless yeah. uh, unless they're of, like of a certain level. In the, yeah. In the see, to me, that is is a red flag. Like, yeah. And I don't care if it's a religion, like. Um, like, if there is secrecy, to me, the question is why. Now, they would say it's because the the information is too dangerous. And I think I saw, you know, I this is one issue I have with the Catholic Church, was for many years, they did not allow the common... Now, there wasn't printing presses, but they didn't allow people to read the Bible themselves. Yeah. Um, they didn't allow the Bible to be translated uh, for many, many years. And once they did, there was kind of like this, some people that were pushing for translations, they got arrested or put to death for it. Right. But once they started to translate it and put it in the hands of the people, that kind of ushered in the Protestant movement because they realized that the Catholic Church was kind of abusing their power. Right. And I would say many Protestant churches now are abusing their power too, so it's Oh, absolutely. There's the truth, like what I consider to be the truth, mm-hmm. and then how church leaders will abuse that 
and use it for their benefit. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. There's one guy recently that I was a big fan of, and I still think his information was good, but uh, his name's Kent Hovind. I don't know if you've heard yes, of him. Yes, yeah, I know. And Great debater. And now, yeah, and I think his information is, is, is really good, whether you agree with it or not, but I think he's a, it makes you think. And, uh, but... So he, he went to prison. He claimed he was a, you know, a martyr, basically, like in there, falsely accused to shut him up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And nine months after he got out of prison, he got divorced. And um, and I didn't make any judgments on that. But three months later, he got married again to somebody else. Yeah. Um, and to me, it was like red flag. First of all, like I think anybody in ministry should be focused on their family first, and if yeah, and and to come out of prison for ten years and then and then neglect your family and put all your focus in your ministry to me is not good. But he's been married; he's on his fourth wife now. Yeah, and since he got out in 2015, <laughs> and his second and third wife have spoken out against him as a narcissist. Yeah. I mean, have you I, heard any of this stuff? Um, very. I didn't. I, I didn't know he went to prison. I, I oh, knew yeah. he'd been married several times, and yeah. I knew that. And <laughs> and not only that, him. like apparently he has people on the board that one of them was caught with drugs, and and his second wife or third wife, it was his third wife. She um, she was telling Kent, hey, he's. He's doing drugs, he's just, and then she saw him stealing money from the ministry and all this stuff. And Kent said, don't worry about it. And it's almost like he had these very sketchy people in places of authority. Mm-hmm. And when people would show their concerns or if they got caught, then he would just... It was almost like these corrupt people had something on Kent, and yeah. he, he wouldn't do anything about it. There was also a pedophile that... A convicted pedophile that um, came and he was a longtime friend of Kent Hovind. Kent Hovind said he was falsely accused, but this pedophile brought a kid with him to Dinosaur Adventureland. Uh, that's always a good look. And not his kid. <laughs> right. It was a, Chris Tucker, uh, the pedophile, is a, is a white guy. He brought a black kid. Okay. And he, they, sl- they, sl- they were given a house. With one bed in it, and Kent, and they told Kent, and he says, "Don't worry about it." He says, "Like he's innocent. He didn't. They didn't do anything wrong." Huh. <laughs> and it's like, what? And so, and anyway, and then you've heard about. Have you heard about Rabbi Zacharias? No. Okay, he was an apologist who would answer deep questions, um, and then it turned out after he died that there was this huge scandal of like massage parlors that he owned oh really and have and then even women that he would counsel he would get them to have sex with them yeah and they would be married but he would when they were vulnerable so like as a christian my biggest the thing that makes me the angriest is these wolves in sheep's clothing these people that use god for their own yeah benefit yeah um, unfortunately, I think that there is a lot of that. Yeah, um, like you're saying, evangelists on TV. Yep. they're all super wealthy. Yeah, they all fake 
miracles, and I don't know why anybody believes them. No, either. Fake miracles, fake prophecies. Uh, just I mean, because people want hope, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, and the prosperity gospel, if you give money to me, then God will reward you. Joe and it's just so, yeah. yeah. Um, and it just angers me. Yeah. Because I feel like it's exactly what the Pharisees were. Yeah. And Jesus would rebuke them, you know. It, it, it's, it, it preys on people who are who are looking for hope. You know, right. People who are already lost, and they're making their situation even worse. Yeah. And when you talked about infiltration, I think a lot of the leaders might be these people <laughs> that uh, infiltrated the church. Oh, um, yeah. Which reminds me of a guy named Russ Dizdar who passed away last year. Um, but Russ Dizdar talked about how Satanists will infiltrate churches uh, oh, yeah. and, and either they'll come in, in different ways. Like sometimes they'll come in as victims and look for counseling. But really, they're there to cast spells on the church or to, um, uh, yeah. yeah, just crazy. And sometimes, like, a young woman will come in and her job is to go and seduce the pastor. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or some, their job is now. to become leaders and somehow figure out a way to get the keys to the church. Oh, yeah. And some of them will come in and be pedophiles. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, Im- imagine just, the wrong person who gets. You know, chosen to be the youth minister or whatever. Yeah, and, you know, so I, I think, unfortunately, people will use God for their own scandals. Yeah, that's and, and that's been going know. on since the dawn yeah. time. Sure, exactly. So, anyway, but definitely, definitely a lot of evil in the world. <laughs> I Do think you, regardless of what people believe, they... they would agree with that. Yeah. Do you think that um, the that any of the like the, the false teaching or the opportunistic teaching has made it into newer translations of the Bible? Um, I'm not a translation uh, expert, but there are, I guess, translations that I know a lot of fundamentalists respect. And some that they don't. Yeah. Uh, and I just kind of have to take their word for it. Like my dad took Hebrew and Greek. Yeah. And he tells me which ones he likes and stuff. One thing I like is the interlinear um, online. You can like put Hebrew interlinear or Greek interlinear, and and word for word it'll tell you what each word is, and you can click yeah. on the word and it'll give you a list of possible translations. Oh yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, so. You know, I, I think uh, there's some people that are King James only, but I've discovered that it's not perfect itself. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Um, have you ever? Definitely, heard of there are. Yeah, there are liberal translations for sure. If you can call them translations. Yeah, it's more like takes. Yeah. Um, right. Have you uh, heard of the message? I have. Yes, I've heard that that's trash. Yeah, it's, it's like uh, just to paraphrase, like thought for thought. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, the, the gist of what yeah. you know, certain passages are, and sure. I haven't, I've read pieces of it, but yeah. I've heard it's it's completely heretical. Like, it, right. there are things that actually go completely against biblical teaching. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, um, I kind of am at this place where I'm very, 
in fact, something my dad said when I was a kid was, I'm not religious, I'm in a relationship. Yeah. And that always stuck with me because, and I can verify growing up that my parents were real. Yeah. Like, they weren't fake. They didn't just show up at church, dress nice, and then at home they were totally different. No, th this was what they really believed. It was right. their life. They lived it. They loved us kids, you know. Yeah. Um, I think when I grew up I realized how special we had it because most people have kind of broken homes yeah um, yeah for sure but to me it's about you know first Corinthians 13 love is is number one but also truth like I'm passionate about truth what is what does it really say what is you know yeah and um I, I'll agree with you on that. I'm, yeah. I'm passionate about truth also. And I think religiosity, when I think of religiosity, it, it comes down to like, oh, the authority. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I think there's a difference between examples, like people that are um, like elders that have wisdom mm -hmm. versus authority. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, too many people put much stock and who went to seminary and, and I think seminary has its place mm -hmm. but um, it's almost like the the guru the Pope you know I, I and, and maybe because we're libertarians and you might think the same way with religion is that we have a skeptical view on a, like power people yeah. of power. I mean, yeah, you know? I, who was it that said that absolute power corrupts absolutely? Yes. <coughs> and um, so, yeah. That, that absolutely applies to the church. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think that um, the church has been used, uh, I will say at least as often for evil as it has been for good. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, a lot of people say a lot of Christians say, probably most Christians will say, that they have read the Bible cover to cover. Uh -huh. And I used to be one of those people mm -hmm. because I thought, well, I've read it a lot. I'm sure I've read it all at some point. Right. But it's really different when you actually do. I've read yeah. it cover to cover several, several times now. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that are very widely accepted as biblical teaching in the church now. Mm -hmm. that I don't think really have any biblical foundation. Right. And, um... I think, yeah, I think one example of that, can I, may I give one? Absolutely. Um, there's this common idea of this huge different way that God did things in the Old Testament and New Testament. And I do think, obviously, he used the nation mm -hmm. and did things with the nation that you would do with the nation, but also presenting truths through that but I also think that salvation was always the same. Because from yeah. Abel sacrificed a lamb, right? Right. From the very way before Israel was a country. Mm -hmm. And you have lamb sacrifices, and we know what that represents. In, well, in Leviticus 1, it says this lamb sacrifice will be as an atonement for you. Right. And then we know that Jesus is the lamb. And so in John chapter 1 it says behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and so I believe that um, what this is is that we all deserve death because of sin like every one of us deserves death mm -hmm. 
and this death, this sin has been placed upon a lamb or right. Christ. Christ fulfilled all that. Like he had to become a man to take our sin and take our punishment. Right. And so uh, I look at it as, you know, some people think in the Old Testament God was a wrathful, vengeful God that if you messed up, he would just, fire would come down from heaven. And, right. and then in the New Testament, it was more about grace. But, um, but I think that he always had grace for those who believed. Yeah, and um, and it was never a, like King David's an example of somebody who was a an adulterer and a murderer, and the difference is between somebody who is counted as righteous when he was when the prophet came to David and said, um, basically said, hey, there was a man who killed another man's wife and uh, you know committed adultery, committed you know. Mm -hmm. And David at first was like, who is this? He should be put to death. Right. And then You're that was man. Nathan, not Samuel, uh, I think. And Nathan said, uh, you yeah. were that man. Right. And I think when David broke down crying, that was brokenness, right? He could have also said, no, whatever, you know, because there's other people that are narcissists and they will never admit to anything, right? Yeah. And so it seems like the brokenness and the admittance of wrongdoing is what God wants. Right. You know, and the belief that, that, uh, you know, and I think before the Bible ever reached, let's say, indigenous peoples, mm -hmm. if they had some concept that there's a creator God and that they are sinners and that they asked for grace, I believe that that's sufficient. Even if they don't really know who... Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know? it, um, it says, I forget who said it, it may have been Jesus, <laughs> yeah. that um, uh, that nature itself yeah. will uh, right. give testimony. Because even the indigenous people believed in some sort of gods. Yeah, yeah, no matter, and, what, no matter where you go. But I think really, as simple as it is, if they believed, okay, there's a most high somewhere, mm -hmm. and if they prayed to the most, and they asked him for mercy understanding that they are sinners right because there's always these concepts of oh i need to cut myself so that to appease the gods yeah um right it always yeah it always comes down to blood right even uh fringe cults and things like that they you know they have blood drinking uh, yeah. rituals and um i do think that there is some inherent um understanding that a blood sacrifice has to be made for the atonement of sin even here's here's an interesting question why do you think that god um rejected cain's sacrifice um that's an interesting question yeah i don't know i i would assume it had something to do with uh with his heart like i think it's even more simple than that hmm. it requires blood to cover hmm. sin and so, yeah. yes, he was he was a field worker. He, you know, he mm -hmm. he had wheat, but he could have bartered that. You know, he could have, right. you know, he could have given sure. some wheat to Abel and taken another lamb, or you know, something. Like right, that. that's so true. I actually think that it had more to do with the fact that it wasn't in keeping with what God saw as a fitting sacrifice. Right. Um, I, I guarantee. I assume. I have to assume that God presented the sacrifice to Adam and Eve mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Even though it doesn't he say that. He had to explain that. it. So point. they had to know. Yeah. And I, I, the pre-flood world fascinates me. I know. It does. Because, you know, whether you take it literally or not, I do. Yeah. It says people live 900-something years. Have you ever heard of the canopy theory? Yes. Yes. I, I, yeah, I was actually just about to say that. And that the pre-flood world was a much healthier mm-hmm. environment. Um, very interesting and then it talks about giants being in the world and some right. people like there, there's an idea of who the sons of God are and all this stuff but yeah. there's well, you can see Nephilim, pictures of right. yeah pictures of people digging up bones where the skull is like six feet I tall I just did a, an episode about <laughs> the, uh, the, the yeah. giants of I think it was giants of ancient America or something like that. Oh, it was uh, just uh, American Legends yeah. was the, the episode but I would also suspect, even if it was, even if you include the fallen an- or the angels having relations with human women, I would also suspect that if people were living 900 years because the environment was healthier, then the average height would be much greater for humans and animals. Yeah. And if you think about like the dinosaurs, like some of them look like just bigger versions of like a bigger rhinoceros, a bigger elephant. Yeah, the mammoth, a bigger is, tiger, yeah. saber-toothed tiger, whatever. It's like fully realized, you know. Yeah. They, they say that there's human skeletons with two rows of teeth. Yeah. And yeah. things like that. It's just, um, yeah, it fascinates me. It is. And, it is uh, very fascinating. And uh, have you heard about the... <laughs> the... Theory that there is a plot to steal all of the giant skeletons. Oh, uh, yes, I, I think that might be the case because back in the early 1900s, there was uh, newspaper articles all the t- like everywhere yeah. about found giants. Yeah, and the, in the 1930s, uh, <laughs> I can't remember his name. But he was a he was a 13 year old kid mm-hmm. who uh, he was just out hiking he was a boy scout and yeah he was out hiking and he uh he walked into a cave and he found um uh, an 11 foot tall skeleton mm-hmm. there. and it was really freaky it was wearing a crown and it had like a, a giant sword too it was like mm. it was very weird yeah. to find but um so a bunch of people from town went up to go see it and they took pictures of it and it was like in newspapers and stuff and there was even um, a photograph of somebody from town who had said in the article was six feet tall and how much taller the skeleton was Mm. Um, and um, one of the last there were several newspaper articles about it and the last one said that someone had sold it to the Smithsonian <clears throat> and then after that, there's no more record of it. Mm. And um, yeah, but if you go to the, Smith- the Smithsonian, they don't have any record of this. Mm. Uh, they never received a giant skeleton. They don't have you know. Um, and people who've gone back to this cave where the skeleton used to be, the impression of it is still there. Mm-hmm. But the skeleton itself is gone. Right. And uh, a similar thing happened to uh, another giant skeleton. 
Wisconsin that was found in, in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of you know hillbillies, uh, I guess, were worshiping it or something. It was, again, yeah. with a, a crown and a large. There was a uh, like a fifty-six pound axe. Yeah. So, um, and they like they took pictures with it, and they you know, people drew it and stuff like that. Um, and then again, somebody came in and like bought it from them, and then it just disappeared. Yeah, and that was only like ten years afterward. So. Wow, and there's no record of yeah of where these went to, which kind of goes back to my idea that there is secret societies that are kind of manipulating things, or yeah. you know, billionaires at the very least, because I think they're trying to present a certain history that isn't accurate. Like, um, I, you know, I don't know what you think about evolution. But that's what's pushed on us, right? Yeah. If it doesn't fit that, then they kind of hide the evidence, and yeah. they want to present evidence that, and, and and in fact, there's way too many gaps. Like there's, I'm not yeah. saying it's a bad theory. I'm just saying like there's too many holes to for it to be proven yeah. as science. You well, know, the thing is, okay, I was actually just talking to somebody about this the other day. Yeah. Um, so, um. I feel like there's this expectation that if they prove evolution, mm-hmm. that'll mean that the Bible is wrong, mm-hmm. and it's not really that's not really the case. Like if you, I believe that God created the natural world, mm-hmm. and all science is is human understanding of the natural world. So if mm-hmm. science was perfect, if human understanding of the natural world was perfect. It would be in harmony yeah. with, uh, with you know, whatever what, really happened. Right. It would be whatever really yeah. happened, and God is who caused everything to happen. So right. it has to be in harmony with it. If you gave me irrefutable proof mm-hmm. that that uh, evolution is how we came to be, mm-hmm. it would just mean that my understanding of that portion is incorrect. Right. That means that my interpretation of Genesis is incorrect. It doesn't mean that the Bible is untrue. Um, and I don't. I don't believe in evolution um, because, like you said, it is so full of holes. But I'm not like I'm not staunchly against it. Where I just I will never believe this or you know whatever. Um, because if you look at a lot of the, um, the forms of pre-man right that they they have out there they came from uh, a tooth or right. um, a bone fragment and they a lot of it is imagination entire, yeah, yeah it is um, yeah. when really it could have just been oh this this guy grew a weird tooth one day you know right. I mean? uh, and i admit that the canopy theory is a theory that's what i call it is a theory and right. i don't think we can prove that Right. What I have a problem with is that that's the like evolution is the only theory that they allow to be pushed in the education system, and right. the question is why? Right. Why, why is that the only? Why theory? do you restrict free thinking? And I'm not even saying we should push creationism. You know, mm-hmm. um, edu- science should be science. What do we know? I, I'm in favor of uh, promoting the alternate theory mm-hmm. that uh, fat bottom girls make the rock. <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, why? Why is why yeah. is there this? Uh, why is free thinking kept under wraps? Yeah. And why does it have to be uh, mm-hmm. only prescribed ways of thinking? And it goes back again to uh, 
to government and politics, we're forced to think only one of two ways. Yeah, so um, definitely I think free thinking is important. And I think the education system, instead of teaching people how to think, it often teaches people what to think. Yes. Um, yeah. There was a documentary that really caused me to, because I would say that in the, you know, in my, t actually back to my teens, I was a big fan of Coast to Coast. And oh, yeah, yeah. So I always liked conspiracy stuff, but it was more about entertainment for me at the time, and I didn't really take it seriously. Yeah, me too. Um, and I, you know, YouTube came along and I would find all kinds of crazy stuff, you know. Right. Um, the Earth is Flat, Mandela Effect. I don't right. know if you've ever talked on those subjects, but... I've been thinking about Mandela Effect. There's a that's, lot of that's a big weird stuff. But the documentary that kind of got me to take truth-seeking more seriously was Zeitgeist. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things called Zeitgeist, but... Okay, it was the there's a documentary the called Zeitgeist, the, the original one from 2007, I think. Okay. But basically the claims of Zeitgeist was that everything in the Bible was based on older pagan religions and okay. sun worship and that... I've heard uh, a little about this. Like the sun in December is at its lowest point for three days and three nights and then it starts to rise again on December 25th. Mm -hmm. uh, that the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples were based on the 12 signs of the Zodiac and, and this really caused me to doubt my faith at that time because yeah. I'm like okay if this is true that sounds very logical mm -hmm. um, and I, I questioned everything and I wasn't sure what to think and so but I also wanted to be careful because if, if the Bible's true you know so, um, so I wasn't sure where to start. So I started with, I actually said, God, if you're real, show me, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I honestly didn't want to, I, I kind of wanted the idea of atheism because it would give me moral freedoms yeah. uh, in, in things that I think are wrong. Like every man wants to sleep around. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, well, I have some things to th say about that too. But, sure, but I mean, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there's some interesting. So, anyway, so I started taking truth seeking more seriously, and one of the things that um, things like biblical evidence that uh, evolution is not a proven theory that it is a just a theory, um, and that uh, and I do think that there's way too many differences between the Bible and evolution to kind of make that fit. I it would. It would be a problem for me, yeah. unless you were to make Genesis an allegory. I know. Um, I mean, I don't believe that it is. Right. But, I mean, the sure. Bible is full of parables. Right. But then I started seeing that there was, like, over 300 flood legends with very, very similar details. Right. Uh, and also, this guy, I have a book here called After the Flood, where he documents ancient chronologies from around the world, and how they I kind of line up with the Genesis 11 uh, chronologies yeah how Genesis 11 basically can you can basically figure out where the nations begin and where they yeah. all, where the modern nations all came from or the oldest nations all came from uh, I mean yeah I mean they, the Jews have been very meticulous about keeping those records right. in ancient times 
there's a, a video of uh, by Ron Wyatt who uh, was in the Red Sea kind of looking around and found like chariot parts, chariot parts yeah. in the Red Sea and stuff like that so just a lot of uh, so I started with evidence I was looking for evidence and I was blown away by how much there actually is yeah um, the resurrection of Jesus there's a uh, two two different atheists from the 70s one was Lee Strobel the other one's Josh McDowell who are basically setting out to disprove Jesus right, right. and in the process became Christians because they were blown away with the evidence yeah so it doesn't mean I have all the answers or even you know but I think and and I started to take truth seeking seriously not just with the Bible but also like with conspiracy stuff like what is plausible what is not yeah you know um, the flat earth thing um, I think is a little crazy but I, I'm, I don't write it off I'm not like 100% sure but well anyway here's my thing about that <laughs> just as a sorry I got I got yeah. a lot back up here to say <laughs> yeah um, so going so, back to uh, morals I guess yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that okay um, so about the flat earth thing, I'll address that first. Okay. Um, I am a big believer in the Sagan Standard. You ever heard of that? Uh-uh. Uh, it is, um, I'll make sure I get the acronym right. It's E-C-R-E-E. E -C -R -E -E. It's uh, Extraordinary Claims Require Extraordinary Evidence. Mm. So if yeah. you have an extraordinary claim, such as the Earth is flat, despite all the evidence we have to the contrary, mm -hmm. you have to have some overwhelming evidence or at least the evidence extraordinary enough to back up your extraordinary claim to right. even make this worth investigating right um so it just it isn't feasible right. <laughs> for like everybody who's ever been to space mm. everybody in a, all the you know the yeah. satellite programs everyone anybody who's involved with uh, global telemetry at all would have to be lying. They would all be part uh, of a conspiracy. Right. And they're, they've even, the flat earth societies have shot themselves in the foot before mm -hmm. by setting up some sort of experiment that they either obviously misinterpreted their results of mm -hmm. or accurately interpreted the fact that they were wrong right. and then blamed it on faulty equipment or right. something like that. And so and the way the, the the way they have it mapped out, it doesn't work in the southern hemisphere, because in December in South America, the southern tip of South America, the sun raises in the southeast and sets in the southwest. Ah, yeah, which is mean, yeah. completely opposite of what it would be if if it was you know the way yeah. that they have it. If it was flat, yeah, and everything plus, would be homogenous. How would the south southern hemisphere have a a, a summer? Right. Because, yes, it is further away, which would make sense on the northern hemisphere, but it doesn't make sense on the, because the sun is still has to go all the way around, right? Right. Anyway. Uh, but, so, uh, let me see, what else, what else was I going to say there? We were talking about morals, I was talking about sleeping around. Or, okay, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll go back to that. There was something else I had to say, but I'll, I'll go back yeah. to that first. So... This is uh, maybe sort of a hot take. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've, I've had some people get, get mad at me for uh -huh. <laughs> saying this or sure. ma making assumptions. But um, 
So I don't believe that the Bible actually condemns premarital sex. Really? And um, like. So what is fornication? That's premarital sex. Right. But the Bible does not condemn it. Mm-hmm. Um, it there is one passage that that talks about fornicators being left out of the um, what the inheritance of God or something. But that's talking about if you read the other examples, um, it's like uh, murderers and you know and rapists and you know all the, these are people who this is their lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. So I do believe that you can sin in the act of of sex. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that having sex outside of marriage is necessarily a sin. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that I don't think adultery is. So I do believe that adultery is a sin. I think that's very clear. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what I want to say about that is that I didn't believe this until after I was already married. Oh. So, uh, this... So it wasn't uh, something you just wanted to believe. Right. And the, I, I feel like that's that's where what a lot of people assume is that, oh, he just wanted, mm-hmm. you know, freedom so he doesn't, he chose not to believe this. But, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't until I read the Bible all the way through, you know, mm-hmm. cover to cover, that I noticed a distinct lack of condemnation for that. Mm-hmm. And there are actually passages that contradict that idea Hmm. um i'm not i'm not prepared i can't remember where it is but there is a um there's a passage about um somebody who was he was pretending to be sick because he liked this girl and he wanted her to bring him cakes or something like that and like he this is meant to be a, a romantic encounter like he wanted to have sex with her and it's this is not condemned by anybody and these are these are Jews right and uh, we see later on in the story that they are they're god-fearing Jews you know this isn't like one of the godless times um, because what ends up happening is he ends up breaking her and then um, I think he ends up getting killed. I can't remember what story that is. Yeah. Anyway, it was it's it's an Old Testament story. He may have been one of the children of David. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll have to look it up another time. But um, there's there's a few other examples, um, and I don't know. I I what I encourage people to do like I obviously if I'm wrong I don't want to like cause other believers right. to stumble but um, I just I would encourage anybody who's struggling with that to um, just read read the Bible and if you yeah. feel convicted about it do you know do as the Lord guides you right but um, and sometimes convic- conviction can be real but it could also be based upon my traditional understanding yeah that we yeah. feel like when you think about like the puritans <laughs> and right. the kind of rules that they had and people would feel really really guilty about something that most of us today would be like what whatever yeah um, and that's that's kind of so i think that the reason that this got interjected into um not even not even the bible obviously but uh, into like church culture 
um, is for control because yeah, I think that I do think that it's it's an idea that puts especially men at odds with their own biology hmm. and then but at the same time it treats women unfairly as well because I mean when you were growing up in the church the same as I did um, at some point did you hear someone describe having sex before marriage being like a chewed piece of bubblegum oh maybe yeah like uh, you if you're a chewed piece of bubblegum no one's gonna want you mm-hmm. and that's usually directed at, at girls and yeah. you know, I, I, I feel like it's it's really used as a, a shaming tactic mm-hmm. and or you know something that is even if it was originally meant with the best of intentions I do think it's an embellishment of what is actually hmm. biblical. So, like, okay, so, in a sense, like you talk about protecting women, and maybe part of the fornication laws were to protect women because a lot of times men will just sleep around and they don't want to commit. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I do think there's something good about vows and witnesses. Yeah, I do for too. a lifelong commitment. Yeah, by by no means am I am I yeah. saying that you shouldn't right. you know, that marriage is bad or anything like that. Although you know, one thing I have wondered about because I I think outside the box. You know, I'm not I I, I do consider my, myself a fundamentalist, but in the sense of the Bible is true, not because the church is true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like polygamy seemed to be it, there was it was never really condemned. Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh, now, there is verses in the New Testament that talks about, like, a, a pastor should only have one wife. Yeah. Um, and things like that, but, um, you know, so... I, I certainly don't think that it is it's necessary to, um, to treat premarital sex as this... Um, like to act like someone has ruined their relationship with God mm-hmm. because they've made a mistake, right? And I think that that happens a lot. I I personally know people who walked away from the church right. because they had sex with somebody, right. and then were subsequently they told felt that too guilty about it, or even yeah. yeah, sometimes because they felt guilty, or sometimes because someone in the mm-hmm. church had told them, uh, "Since you've done this, you're no longer welcome here," or. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just um, I, I think that that I think that that has done a lot of course I'm, I'm kind of hypocritical it. because I'm not perfect morally yeah anyway. I mean nobody is I mean you know it's hard when there's porn eat, porn is easy to access or whatever you know? yeah oh, I mean for so, sure uh, so I definitely don't consider myself better but I've also tried to have a line somewhere yeah um and, and, and part of it is the consequences of something like, you know, and I'm aware of that. That's a real thing, I think. Yeah. The consequences of sleeping with somebody and then... Right, know, absolutely. Because there's, there's an emotional connection there. And if they get yeah. pregnant... Yeah. And, um, you know, especially for women, because now I know there's division on abortion. Mm. And I guess it depends on what people believe about where the humanity starts yeah and most Christians 
believe humanity starts early, and right. I do too. So I, I do too, and but I here's here's what I'm sorry. Go, go ahead and finish your thought. And so, obviously, the best way to protect women on that is to make sure that I'm committed to them. Yeah, know, or that I would take care of the child. Right. You know, at the very least. Um, I I feel like it's it's sort of. It's doing something that, that we have a tendency to do a lot, and it's taking something that you should do and makes it something that you must do. Mm-hmm. And I'm generally against doing that. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, like things like wearing your seatbelt, uh-huh. it's a good idea. Right. I, shouldn't, I don't think you should have to. Right. Um, well, going back to the Ron Paul philosophy of doing whatever you want as long as you don't hurt somebody else, like the seatbelt would be along the lines of you're not hurting anybody else. Now, if you have kids in there, it's probably a good idea to have laws to make sure the kids are, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean that makes sense because yeah. they are too young to make decisions for themselves. Right. But as far as abortion, then it becomes a question of uh, if that, you know, human rights. Where does the human rights begin? Right. And you know. So my my issue with abortion, here's my take on it. Um, I I think that a lot of Christians, in trying to uh, make a case, make a like a pro life case, mm-hmm. make the mistake of making it about Christianity. Right. Yeah. Um, because if you're not a Christian, this isn't a valid argument. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never. Although there are recent ones that make it about science. Yeah, I've heard some good scientific arguments for humanity starting earlier. Or yeah, um, I mean, uh, my uh, my take on it is is just logical. Um, mm-hmm. So people like to compare pro choice, like people like to compare um, the zygote, you know, human zygote, to uh, the single celled organism that you wash off your body when you take a shower in the morning. Right. Um, you know, it was just a single-celled organism, why should you give it any more thought than that? Yeah. Um, but if you wash a, a Volvox or a, you know, a Rotifer off of you in the morning, that's all that that thing was ever going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You washed it down the drain and it died in the drain instead of dry, dying on your skin a few hours later. Um, but a human zygote is going to be a human unless interrupted. Right. So, I think that. Yeah. To me, it seems wrong to interfere with that when that is that is the biological destiny of that being. Right. And that yeah. I mean that's that's all that I need mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, definitely there should be more of a scientific argument as opposed to a religious one yeah. on that, especially when you're talking to... Now, it makes more sense if you're talking to other Christians, uh, there's a moral you know, basis for it, but like when you're talking to non-Christians and giving an argument for it, it should have scientific basis. Yeah. Um, yeah, when we're talking about legalism and rules, I, I do acknowledge that some of the things that became rules, I don't know if they're a big deal now, but like say the Puritans might have believed in the missionary position only. Right, yeah. The Bible I mean, says nothing yeah, about that. Like, if you go back, you know, um, 
uh, like oral and anal sex, even mm-hmm. amongst married couples, used to be considered sodomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were laws against it, you know. Uh, right. So, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. And so, yeah, definitely, I'm all for figuring out legalism versus what does the Bible actually say. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I have recently, probably the one view that I have that is outside of the traditional fundamental Christian movement is uh, on hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, my understanding of it now is annihilation. Oh, which really? means that uh, when people are cast in a lake of fire that are not under the blood of Jesus will cease to exist. Okay. And uh, there was a good argument for it, not by some liberal, he was actually a pretty conservative biblical scholar that I heard this argument from, and he gave a lot of verses. There's really only one verse that's hard to to argue, you know, that mm-hmm. seems to indicate eternal conscious torment, uh-huh. and that's in Revelation, which is a book that's very, uh, what's the word, a lot of poetic language. Yeah. But everywhere else it says the wages of sin is death, you know, you shall not perish or have everlasting life. Um, what did Jesus do to, um, to pay for our sins? He died. Yeah. You know, so, um, and then in Revelation 21 it says there's no more sin, no more death. Um, and so that's probably the one area that I'm like, different on than yeah. perhaps the traditional views but I'm also like opposed to traditions that are not found in the Bible yeah so um, you know that's sorry I, good I was just going to say I, I do think that um, what happens to unbelievers after death is um, at least open for debate you know, there's not mm-hmm. um uh, there's not a, a concrete mm-hmm. passage in the Bible that says, at least not one that I can think of, that you know lays out what hell is. Right. Um, uh, you know, it it could be all allegorical. You know? mm-hmm. um, so I mean, yeah, it it could be annihilation. It could mm-hmm. be. I've also heard the theory that uh, the 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 human spirit is. Uh, uh, is impossible to destroy, mm-hmm. and uh, but that the that hell is just separation from God, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. the, the the fire is allegorical of the pain of being separated from God. But I don't know; it's um, yeah, it is something that could be debated. Eternal conscious torment is definitely hard to wrap my brain around. Yeah, it seems now if that's what it is, then I trust that God is just. Because, you know, like, uh, you you remember, you know the book of Job, where Job would ask these questions, mm-hmm. and God would basically say, where were you when I created the, basically saying, I know better, you know, he's the almighty God, right. who are we to ask him, you know. So I think, even if it's something I don't understand, if that's the case, then I trust that God is just. Yeah. But, logically speaking, it's hard to grasp the idea of eternal conscious torment yeah. for a lifetime of sin. Right. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, for sure. And for what is people a, that have made explanations of that, but again, their explanations are not found in the Bible. They're just their explanations. Yeah, trying that, to reason yeah. why that would be the case. The things that fire and brimstone pastors have been saying for decades. Right, and so um, I'm all like, as long as somebody has a biblical argument, I'm open. You yeah. know, and and I don't maybe don't put as much stock on church history as others. Right. Um, the church that I go to now, Gospel of Faith, which you've been there before, yeah. um, the, uh, the it, it was founded in homes, these houses, house churches in the 70s. Oh, a yeah. lot of ex-hippies that were questioning tradition themselves, but they also wanted to get back to, you know, what does the Bible say? Yeah. And they would study the Bible, and one thing that they concluded that's unique to tradition, we've never had a senior pastor, a teaching pastor. We've yeah. always had uh, a board of elders and deacons. Yeah. And one thing I like about that is that it doesn't put a face, like the attention is not about a person. Yeah, yeah. And so when I visited other churches, there's sometimes this unhealthy, uh, unhealthy like, people looking up to, even if it's a good pastor that I respect, like there's a lot of good pastors I respect, but uh, it's not necessarily their, their fault, but like a lot of times the people will like be in awe of that person instead of, yeah. and so I, I, I like that about it. Um, yeah, then you go back to um, uh, authority corrupting, you know, yeah. you, you know sure. that's, that is how most churches are run with a yeah. singular elder pastor. And so with a board of elders, they keep each other accountable, you know. Yeah. And so um, that that's always good. Although I've heard of, situ like, The Village. Although I think <laughs> yeah. the movie The Village actually, it seemed like they were, when you really think about it, they weren't corrupt, I don't think. I don't oh, think yeah. they were that. I mean, yes, they kind of were secretive, but, like. Only that they were uh, obscuring the truth. Maybe, yeah, in that sense. But I think they had good intentions. They, they, there was some semblance of freedom, except, which I guess, in that sense, fear. Government will use fear to keep us in line. Right. So maybe there is some of that, but, like, you know. So. Well, think of the the potential though of anybody who is living in the village, right? Uh -huh. As ends up squandered by the limitation of the fake era, you know, that they've, that they've constructed. Um, right. Anybody could have had you know, valid, much more vast potential if they had access to the outside world. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely I'm more open to questioning tradition than a lot of people are, but the, yeah. the Bible's my foundation. There's things right. I don't understand, you know. Yeah, with, with anything. There's things I wonder, how did they get that, you know. Right. Um, so, anyway. With any uh, any new teaching, or any teaching at all, um, yeah. I think it's it's important to check it against the scriptures. And yeah. That includes uh, long-held... You know, Pre-trib rapture. Yeah, yeah. I can't find that in the Bible anywhere. I've kind of leaned towards a post-trib rapture now. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm I'm a pre-trib guy, but oh, yeah, it's not a. It's again, it's not a major <laughs> issue, but I think 
it's one of those tr things that became the popular thing that um, but yeah so it's it's a and it's also good to know like I I've always said this on my podcast that um, I don't know everything one thing that I'm 100% sure on is that I'm not right about everything yeah <laughs> so right I think it's good to have that. There's too many people that are too dogmatic about things. Yeah. And, you know, or just too entrenched in yeah. things that they think or just want to think. Want or that, to that's the thing about denominations is everything's too defined. Like yeah. doctrinal boxes. You know, when you start creating doctrinal boxes, then you then everything gets defined by that as opposed to allowing the Bible, you know, and I don't think everything's as clear-cut as Calvinism or, yeah. you know, dispensationalism or, right. you know, they, it's just these theologians that have created these doctrines. Yeah, ultimately, yeah. for the most part, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, what it comes down to is people bickering over yeah. uh, non-salvation uh, non issues. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I'm a strong young earth creationist, but I don't think if somebody's a long earth creationist or a theistic evolutionist, it's not worth dividing over. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fun to have discourse about it. Sure. Absolutely. But, but yeah, it's not worth, uh, like, looking yeah. at that person going, you are my opponent now. <laughs> sure. Know? Even water baptism, like, sprinkling versus immersion yeah like if you really look at it like i grew up baptist or when i was a kid that was what i knew and, and my church still does immersion mm -hmm. but when you really read it it doesn't really specify yeah whether you're dunked or sprinkled or whatever right so i mean the important thing is the proclamation of faith you know that's what baptism right. is about so if you're proclaiming your faith and this is your gesture it doesn't really yeah. matter right well, we're over two hours. Yeah. <laughs> we can maybe do this again because we, we have good conversation. Yeah, I think we got a lot of good stuff to talk about. So anyway, check out Eddie V's Horror Show. Uh -huh. It's a podcast. Look for that. What what are the platforms? Uh, it's, it's everywhere. Spotify, okay. Apple, uh, iTunes, Google Podcasts, yeah. uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. All right. And uh, sounds good. And your 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 writings. Do you have anything out there? I do. Um, there's a short story called Chance. It was published in the uh, November 2019 issue, I believe. No, 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 2017 issue of uh, the Scarlet Leaf Review. Um, it's under my name, Edward Villanova. Um, that is like, going to be made into a short film soon. And then um, I also have a story called uh, The Recycling Revolution. It is with um, Thieker's Quarterly Fiction, and they are Unsplatterpunk number four issue. And are they online, or do you, or number, can you sorry, order number them? Uh, they are paper. available for Kindle. You can order paperback, um, okay. or uh, I think you can still read. Yeah, I think you can read for free now as a back issue okay. on the Thieker's Quarterly Fiction uh, blog spot. Very good. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll try to remember to put a link on the bottom of the video um, and if you want to text me those so I can yeah sure I can do that and uh, cool 
Well, that was fun. It was. Thanks for having me. All right, that was all we had. We uh, hope you enjoyed that. And um, so this is just something we're trying. I'm trying different. And maybe he talked about me being on his show at some point. So uh, we could talk forever. I mean, it sounds like we have good talking chemistry. It makes it a lot easier <laughs> to fill time with somebody else, which is why, you know, I understand why a lot of podcasts have two people. Um, all right, so hope you all have a wonderful day. This is the most awesomest podcast of all time. I'm your host, Rob Hendrick. This podcast is brought to you by Proverbs 16 and 18. Rob Hendrick, full instructions.